good to see everybody. Welcome, welcome, uh, especially if you're new. We love it that there are new people, whether you're here, out there. Uh, good to uh, welcome you here. And um, fasting or feasting, I'm not going to ask which of those uh, appeals to you more, um, but, but let's uh, engage with both. Actually, it is important just on that. that some, we, we gather as individuals, of course we do, and we're more or less connected with the life of this church, depending on whether you've just arrived or you're still checking things out or whether you've been here for yonks. There are moments in the, in the, time, in the life of the church when actually we do stuff together. Almost every word you in the Bible is a you plural, not just a you singular. So let's, in, let's just interpret that as a kind of, there are moments where we just join in, all of us. So I'm really going to encourage you as one of your leaders here, join in with this Lent stuff just over the next few weeks. And that fasting thing, you've, if you've never had a go at that, whether it's fasting from social media or your phone or sleep to do something better with 30 minutes sleep, or especially food, and for me, quite honestly, fasting is mainly about food. Um, then why don't you join in with that and check it out? Don't just go, oh, that's for somebody else, and uh, you know, put the card in the bin. And the Kenya thing, absolutely. Come in October, the, the next chance for a, a sort of bigger engagement is, is October. So um, fasten your seatbelts. We're going to move fast tonight, uh, but really important stuff. When something like Ukraine happens, uh, which is overwhelming, we can't get our heads around it. At least two, I have at least two reactions. I'm walking down from my house down the Presbyterian Road this afternoon to prepare for this, and. At least one of the things I'm thinking is, my goodness, it's a perspective bringer, isn't it, on those things that I might call my problems. And I'm not diminishing anybody's problems, but the fact that my car might not pass its MOT soon, or that I might have um, toothache, or that I might, whatever, you know, struggle with, with my boss or whatever, not that I do struggle with my boss, but um, <laughs> those things are put into perspective when we read about, gosh, I could be walking down a street, which three days ago didn't have bombs dropping on it and didn't have soldiers on it and there weren't people trying to kill me and I now enjoy this extraordinary freedom. So there's a perspective bringer, isn't there? And the second thing, at least the second thing, which brings us to where we are tonight is, where on earth do you get good news from in a bad news world? Where does hope come from? On this, that kind of scale of stuff or the scale of dramas and storms going on in your life right now, because there'll be dramas and storms, whatever they are, because that's just the nature of life. Where does good news come from? Where do you go for good news for yourself? And then where do you go for, for good news in the world? That's a big question, isn't it? It really matters, though. That's what we're addressing a little bit tonight. And if you were here last Sunday morning, I'm afraid you're in for a second dose of a similar message that I gave then. Uh, feel free to you know, do something else. But I think it's important for all of us to keep hearing it and keep, keep hearing God on this, because what, what could matter more? Uh, election time produces all kinds of leaflets. It seems to be election time on the Presbury Road at the moment. I think it must be parish council election or something like that. Anyway, I get the stuff through the door. I don't normally read junk mail, but occasionally I read the, the stuff that comes through from local politicians, and certainly at general election time I do. Those things they call their manifestos, right? The, the, here's my five-point plan for, for saving the world or changing Presbury at the very least. Here's what I'm going to stand on. Here are the things that you can expect from me. Here are the priorities that I'm going to offer to you. I think I've probably told you here before that a classmate of mine back in the day is now the deputy leader of the Monster Raving Looney Party. Who knew? And uh, I, I hopped on their website again just to check out their latest policy offerings on their manifesto to make the world a better place. I quite enjoy this. Half the grey squirrels in the, in the country will be painted red to increase the red squirrel population. Airbags will be fitted to the stock exchange immediately, ready for the next crash. Quite like this one. We believe in animal equality, so in future, at zebra crossings, all animals will be allowed to cross, not just zebras. 
And in government, we'll complete a five-year parliament in only four years. And this policy not only ensures a 20% saving for the public purse, but it also gives everyone in the UK a year off from listening to our politicians. Quite like their manifesto. So manifesto is, is a way of saying, isn't it, I've got good news for you in a bad news world. This is what I stand for. These are my priorities, what you can expect. So if you wrote your manifesto now, what would you write? you wrote your personal manifesto for good news in a bad news world, what would be your offerings? What would you stand on? What could we expect of you? Actually, let's, let's make that you, us, we tonight. Let's talk about us as a local body of Christ here. What can we expect of us? What do we stand on? What are we offering as good news in a bad news world? It's interesting, by the way, isn't it, as you think about Part of the answer to that is, is economics the answer to Ukraine? Well, sure, economics is going to help in different kinds of ways. Is politics going to help? Well, that always helps. Is health, is more education, is intelligence, is better tech, is better weaponry in the case of all, all of those sorts of things? Well, all of those things have a place, but they're not going to ultimately be the good news, are they, in a bad news world? Of course they're not, as somebody once said, because in the end, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, and none of those things touch the human heart. You'll have an idea where we're going, but let's just reflect. What would your, your, what would your manifesto be? The most inspiring manifesto I know comes in some ancient words in the Bible from the prophet Isaiah that Jesus read out 700 years later. He's just been baptized. The first place he goes is he rocks up in a synagogue in, in, in Nazareth. And if you can find Luke 4, the words will come on the screen, but find Luke 4 anyway because we're going to be referring to it. And he says this. He stands up. It's the first thing he says basically in his public ministry. Luke 4 verse 18 this is known as the kingdom of God manifesto, the kingdom manifesto. And, Luke, and, and uh, Jesus says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. people of God who's saying, you'll wait for the fulfillment of these things that you heard 700 years ago from Isaiah, your wait is over because it's all fulfilled in me, in Jesus, here and now. This is what I stand for. This is my manifesto. This is what I'm committed to. And then straight away, a few verses later, if you've got Luke 4, cast your eye down to, towards the end of it, 38 to 44, there's this story. He rocks up in another house, Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law is sick. He rebukes the fever and she's uh, made well again. At sunset, verse 40, people bring to Jesus all kinds of people with various sicknesses. He lays his hands on every one of them and heals them. Demons come out of various people. You're, you're the son of God, and he rebukes the demons. Next morning at daybreak, he goes off to a solitary place. People are looking for him. They want him to carry on, but he says, 43, I've got to proclaim the what? Good news of the kingdom of God to other places, because that's why I came. And he goes off preaching. And so it goes on for the next three years, doesn't it? Proclaiming and demonstrating. Showing and telling. If you did that stuff at school, our kids always used to do that. Show and tell. Show and telling the kingdom of God. Bringing and being the good news of the kingdom of God. And then Good Friday happens, Jesus dies, Easter Sunday happens, he rises. And before the risen Jesus goes back to his father's side, he passes the baton on to his people. It's not just my manifesto any longer, he says, this is your manifesto. What manifesto would you write? My question earlier, I wonder if you thought about this one. 
Because to the people of God, to those who would call themselves followers of this king, this is your kingdom manifesto. This is it. This is our manifesto. It's one of the ways he expresses it. Go and make disciples of all nations. We know that bit. Love God. Love people. That's the theme that we've been doing for the past few Sundays. In our vision language, we'd say all in for the sake of the world. So go in my name with my authority. Matthew 28. Don't do it by yourselves. If you try and do it by yourself, it'll be, it won't go well for you. So wait. Wait for the power to arrive. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Pray till that point. Wait for the power to come. And then when the power comes, go. Off you go. Go in my name. Do this stuff. This is your manifesto. Do the stuff that I've been doing. Whatever else you do, whatever else you do with your life, you get your qualifications, you get your degree, you get your job, you get your house, you get your bank account, you get your holidays, you might get married, you might get kids, you might do whatever else you do, whatever else I call you to do, all that good stuff, whatever else you do, do this. Because this is your manifesto, the thing that I'm calling you to stand on and to make your priority in the world while you're alive. It remains the manifesto of my church. Let's look at it. Trinity Church, us. The Spirit of the Lord is on us. What does that mean? God's with us. He's anointed us. What does that mean? It means he's given us what we need. He's given us what we need to fulfill the commission by way of power and authority. To proclaim good news to the poor. Poor in every sense of that word. Materially poor, spiritually poor, emotionally poor. What does that mean? Well, in a tough world where bad things happen, to hold out the offer of really good news and living hope in the person of Jesus. To open blind eyes, it goes on, this manifesto. So metaphorically, figuratively, as it were, to open up people to to the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done in the world. Literally, though, too, sure, the, the healing of physical bodies as part of God's intervention in the world. Next bit, to bring freedom for prisoners and everybody who's oppressed. Sure, maybe literally to some extent without breaking the law, not, don't break people out of prisons, but you know, the prison of fear, the prison of captivity, the prison of mindsets that are twisted, the prisons of addiction, the prison of everything that oppresses us and others and holds them back, the manifesto, our role, your manifesto, mine, in the power of the Spirit, to bring release, to bring freedom, to proclaim the last bit, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's that about? That's declaring that God is good. He's Father. He's good. He wants uh, to show everybody that he's kind, generous, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Jesus goes on to say, John 20, so as the Father has sent me, this is Jesus, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you with this manifesto. In the same way, in other words, that the Father has sent me, in that way, I'm now sending you. Do you consider yourself a sent one in that way, a commissioned one? If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the commission. In the same way. Some people say, oh, Jesus had all kinds of special advantages, like he was God, he was sort of Superman. No, he laid aside the advantages of heaven, Philippians 2, operated by the same Holy Spirit who is accessible to us. Hang out with the same Father who is accessible to us. We've got all that we need to fulfill the commission. It's beautiful. It's exciting. Success then in life means doing this, means following Jesus in his faithfulness to the Father's mission and now to to ours, partnering with him in that mission. So being good news in a bad news world. If you wanted a title for the talk, it will be that. Being good news in a bad news world. I just want to focus on the first uh, three words there, being good news. We'll just take each word in turn. First two a little bit and then the last one very quickly. And keep Luke 4 open because it's all in there. First one is being good news. Being, I just want to focus on the being for a minute. This is really important. Because this is about who we are before it's about what we do. 
I think there's a, a view sometimes, if you've been around your Bible a, a while or churches or whatever, that there's some stuff that we need to do. And that thing in Matthew 28 that we call the Great Commission, it's what we do. It's our job profile. It's a description of the task of the Christian. I've got to do this stuff. I've got to go and do some good things in the world and speak some good things in the world. That's the job that I've got. Well, there is something about that. But friends, let's remind, the being word reminds us, now this is actually first and foremost about who we are before it's about anything that we then do. If we start with the doing, we miss the fact that God is, in theological language, this is incarnational. God the Father made himself known in Jesus. The presence of God came to dwell among us before there was any doing. So in the same way, way, we need to understand who we are. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I, I, I get changed as that happens. Whatever language you bring to that, I've been born again. I've turned my life over to Jesus. I've started following him. I've responded to his call. I'm a, I'm a Christian, which just means a, an anointed one, a little Christ, a little anointed one. I carry the very presence of God with me. It's who I am now. It's our identity. So here in Luke 4, have a quick look. In six feet, just six verses, we've got Jesus teaching, healing, chatting with people, hanging out with his friends, performing some other miracles, releasing people from evil oppression, spending time alone on the mountain, and then walking on towards other villages. He's in the synagogue, he's in the friend's house, he's in the street, he's on the road, and he's up the mountain. And in none of them does he say, oh, this is a God moment where I've got to do some things, and this one over here isn't. In all of them, he was just him. And what was in him came out of him. As we used to say here, as we say sometimes, we're milkshakes, not grapefruits. Grapefruits are sort of segmented, compartmentalized, you know what I mean? Oh, there's my spiritual life and my this life and my that life and whatever. No, milkshakes is what we are, not grapefruits. We are who we are in every environment. We don't have a Christian life. We just have a life in which Jesus is part of all of it. So we, we live inside out. We live out of who we are. He's just being himself here, being good news. I sometimes say that discipleship, being a disciple, is actually learning, the process of learning to become who you already are. Does that make sense? It kind of does in, in biblically and in kingdom language it does. Jesus died so that we might become sons and daughters of the Father. That's who we are. We don't stop being that depending on our behavior. If we've, if we've received him, John 1 says, then you have the right to become children of God. So I'm a child of God. But I then need to take on that identity and live it out in the world, right? And get better and better at being a son of God or a daughter of God. The Bible is full of you are. It's full of identities. You are the salt of the earth, Trinity. You are the light of the world. You are new creations when you... Say yes to Jesus. 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. I mean, how many more you are's do we need? These are unbelievable you are. This is who you are, God says. When God says it, it's true. By the way, 1 Peter, so that you might declare the goodness of God. So there's a so that. But the, the, the so that, the, the, the showing and telling comes out of who you are. So I, is this the identity that you own? I have no apology in waving my wife's book again. Hills wrote this book. Um, allegedly, it's for women. I, I'm going to say 95% of it is good for blokes as well. It's called Known. It's actually a book about identity. 365 reading, daily readings about who, you, who we are. Half of them actually are about who we are, or women who you are. And half are about who God is. 
and therefore us created in the image of God. And uh, just, just last week, as I was waving the book, literally about half an hour before, a, a um, testimony came in from somebody who's it's sold, it's selling quite well, and they're available back there. Um, for, for a testimony came back, which is effectively why Hills wrote it. She wrote it out of obedience, but gosh, the reward is extraordinary when somebody writes from the other side of the world and says, your book is changing my life. I used to think I was this, this, and this. I used to think I was a good Christian. I was a nurse. I was a wife. I was a member of a, a church and so on. But actually, in the end, I think I don't really know who I was at all. This is a woman who tragically lost her 39-year-old son very, very suddenly a few months ago. And it threw her world into a turmoil. And one of the results of the turmoil, in the midst of all the pain and tragedy of that, is an exploration of who, who she is. And she has come to understand herself as a daughter of the Father, her prime identity, loved and cherished and forgiven and set free by God. And she's got lots of questions, but she's asking them from a completely different place. So powerful. We can't even get off the starting blocks, really, unless we begin to grasp some of this stuff. We live inside out. So if we're wanting to be you know, more like Jesus before we think of ourselves as having anything to offer. We won't, we won't get started. It's not about waiting until we're, we're perfect or waiting until we're good or, or whatever to be good news in a, in a bad news world. No, it's, it, but it does begin by acknowledging who we are. Um, I actually look back in horror at a time earlier in my life when I, th I, I was in the sort of job mode. This is the job of a Christian kind of a mode. It's my job to persuade people of this body of truth. You know, I've got this truth and I've got to get it into you. And if I get it into you, I've succeeded. And, you know, that will be... And I, my, my motives were good. But my, my methods were hideous, uh, frankly. And I probably caused all kinds of upset. I've had to repent over the years. And gradually the Lord has, has changed me. I think I was acting a bit as a... Hill said this this morning. I think I found myself acting as like a barrister in a courtroom whose job is to persuade you of the truth. I've got to persuade you about this. And if you begin to believe this, then you'll change. Actually, the Bible doesn't say you're a barrister. What does it say in a courtroom? You are a? Okay. In a courtroom? Witness. Right. That's one A. You'll be my witnesses. It's another you are, isn't it? It doesn't say you will witness, by the way. It says you are, it's another identity word, you are a witness. If you, if you, if you, start, if you claim any Christian identity, you're, you're, you're a follower of Jesus, you are a witness. That's who you are. What do witnesses do? They share their story. They just testify to what they've experienced, what they've seen and what they've heard. That's what they do. They don't try and persuade people, you've got to do this. Witnesses, not barristers, I find that helpful. It's also quite releasing, isn't it? Because we've all got a story. And by the way, if your story with Jesus is a bit stale at the moment, we're going to pray for you tonight. Some of us need our story with Jesus refreshing, so we've got some more stuff to share. That's okay. It's no condemnation, but we're going, to, we're going to pray. Beginning to digress and preach a different sermon. Your witnesses. Bible's clear. Identity word. Right, second one. Being good news. Good, 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 good. It's a really underestimated word, don't you think? The word good. Think about it. I mean, it's such an ordinary word in many ways, but Good. It's the very nature of God. It's the deepest, most profound question we've got about God. Is he good? Expresses so much. We've got a really big concept of what good is. You don't really need me to help you work out what being good looks like in practice. We know that stuff. You can think about what being good news is. You can think about what that looks like. By the way, that passage in 1 Peter 2 went on like this. Just after the bit that I read, you are all those things... So now, live such good lives 
among the pagans, just those who don't follow Jesus, that though they accuse you of doing wrong because there's always opposition, they might see what? Your good deeds and glorify God in the end. It's very powerful, the witness of good, being good, showing and telling good stuff. And we, above all people, we carry the presence of a good God. We're made in the image of a good God. We're allowing that image to be formed within us as we go on day by day in the faith. That's what the Holy Spirit is up to in your heart if you let him, refining us, making us more like uh, Jesus himself. So we, we, above all, that are to let that goodness flow out. And it's not so much about doing a bunch of good things, although it's part of that. It's just becoming more the hands and the feet and the voice and the, so on of, of Jesus in the world, in the environments where we, where we find ourselves. Milkshakes, in all kinds of good things. It's just called loving people, isn't it? It's actually loving people. Loving the people we like, loving the people we don't like so much. That's the only motive, by the way. People are never targets. They're never, you know, projects. People for Jesus were people to love. So that can be our only motive because it was his only motive. There were some brilliant uh, testimonies here last, uh, this Sunday ev- last Sunday evening, if, if you were here, about simple ways. It, it, this often looks really, really simple, right? Just being good, just doing good stuff looks really simple, but it's costly. I think Dan was up here uh, saying something about being on the street teams, just going out faithfully week by week, feeding the hungry, having conversations with people who are lonely, doing that kind of stuff. Being good news in a bad news world. Julie was standing up here saying she was having a tough day, but she wandered through the park and she saw a guy, who, a, a frail old man who was being a bit blown about by the wind and she ended up holding him by the hand and they went off to a dry place to have a coffee and he was lonely, he'd just lost his wife and she bef- you know, treated him in a good way. She expressed the goodness and the kindness of God to this man. They got into a God conversation as it happened. He didn't want to be lonely anymore. He began to think of God as his friend in that conversation. It doesn't always work out like that, but it did there. Fee was here saying just in the ordinary course of working in, in Mackey Deeds, just by being good, by being kind, by listening to people, by forming normal relationships, she ended up having all kinds of interesting conversations, helping people, signposting them, witnessing, pointing people towards, towards the Lord. So that, that's what good looks like. But I just want to focus in on this. Luke 4, sometimes good, sometimes love looks like miraculous, supernatural power. And we cannot ignore this, church. We're all on board with the idea of being kind of good and whatever and kind and thoughtful and generous, even if it costs us, and it does. But how about this? We cannot shrink from it. Why? It's in the manifesto. Remember the manifesto again? Heal the sick. Cast out demons from people who are oppressed. Raise the dead, by the way. <laughs> Let's leave that in a brackets at the moment. It's not quite such an easy one, is it? Whatever you do, be a teacher, be a nurse, be a doctor, be, be, be whatever, but do this. Heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim the good news, show and tell. It includes the power stuff. I read this brilliant story, guy in um, Malaysia, no, uh, Thailand, uh, called Chung in a, in a village in Thailand, not that long ago, quite recently. Uh, he was the village chief. He, through the work of missionaries, became a, a believer in Jesus. They put him in prison. They gave him a choice. You can either stop being the, the chief or you can, stop being the, uh, you can stop being a Christian, or you have to stop being the chief. Well, of course, he chose, I'm going to stop being the chief. So he lost his, his livelihood, lost his reputation, lost a load of friends, lost money, lost position, lost, lost a lot of things. Eventually came out of prison. And in the village where he, was, where he was, uh, used to be the village chief, there were also an awful lot of shamans, witch doctors, you know, trying to do, do the healing thing uh, using uh, dark powers. And, uh, and the village was a mess, absolute mess. Everybody knew it was a mess. It was a horrible place to be. 
because in the end, dark powers are seductive, but always evil. And so people weren't getting healed. In the end, one old grandma plucked up some courage, and she, she went to this guy by night. She said, I, I've tried all these other things. Could I try your God? And long story short, of course, he prays for this woman. She gets healed. And, uh, and, then, and the word just begins to spread in the village that Chung's God actually has got power, and there's, there's healing in this. And, and he just said it was just, you know, God just was very kind, and healing happened. Well, it was only a couple of weeks ago, I think, 97 people in that village were baptized. 97, small village. Where did it start? Obviously, the faithfulness of a guy who just was obedient at great cost to, to, to following Jesus. But he wasn't going to shrink from the whole healing thing, the whole power thing. Heal the sick. It's the mandate. It's part of the manifesto. So I'm going to ask, when did you last put your hand on a sick person and pray for them? When did you last expect for, pray for, hope for, breakthrough in a supernatural, divine kind of way? And I don't say this to make us feel bad. I'm asking myself the same questions. I'm going to say it's a while ago. But friends, we cannot reduce our expectation to the level of our experience. Fatal. I pray, 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 God doesn't, nothing's happened, so God doesn't heal. No. Heal the sick. Where did John Wimber, some of you know the name John Wimber, one of the, the sort of forerunners of churches like this, great, great saint of God about 30, 40 years ago. And uh, he, I think he prayed for, I don't know, six months, several thousand people for healing before he even saw the first glimmer. He just kept going, kept going. Why? Because he believed in the manifesto. He believed that this was part of the commission. And he was not going to reduce the bar to make it kind of a bit more comfortable just because he was disappointed that things weren't happening. So let's get over our little sort of insecurities and self-flagellation and the stuff. Just go, well, let's dig in. Let's dig in. Don't need a degree in theology to put your hand on a, a sick person and say, be healed in Jesus' name. Faith helps. Consecration helps. A whole bunch of things help in that. But if we're not praying, we're not going to see a lot of healing, are we? And that's just the healing bit. There's so many other kind of ways in which God breaks through. In power, the Bible calls them signs and wonders. They're fantastic in themselves. So Simon's uh, mother-in-law was healed. That's great news for her, irrespective of anything else. But it's also a sign and a wonder. It's a sign of Jesus. It points people to who this person is. And it's a wonder because it makes people wonder. I wonder what's going on. And they did. They were amazed. So I wonder what holds us back. I just think God is prompting us, if I may say, just as, as one of those who stands up here a bit. I think God is reminding us about this. Good being good news in a bad news world. The idea is that we've got some power to offer. Not just some good intentions, not just some nice words, and all the other stuff that goes with it. Of course, that's right. But actually, he's a God of power. His love expresses itself again and again and again and again in power. And he's passed the mandate to us. Being good news, I'm not going to dwell on this one, um, news, I, I think news means stuff that we didn't know before, I think that's where news comes from, because it's new. So Luke 4, the passage uh, that we just read, three times Luke tells us about the reaction of the crowd to all of this. Verse 22, all of them spoke well, they were amazed at these words that came from, isn't this Joseph's son? This is what's going on. Verse 32, they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Verse 36, they were amazed and they said to each other, what words these are with authority and power. He orders spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread through the area. You bet it did. Why were they amazed? Because they hadn't heard it before. They hadn't seen it before. 
It was new to them. We regularly say something about the, the, the folks in our community. We, we, we bandy figures around like 95%. I've no, if it, no idea if it's 95%. Let's call it 95%, 90%. Who cares? It's a big, big majority of the folks out there have no meaningful connection with the person of Jesus Christ, with a relationship with Father God, or even really with meaningfully with the church. And is that because all of this culture is super on board with what we stand for, completely understands that there's a relationship with God on offer, that there's freedom on offer, there's forgiveness on offer, there's hope on offer, there's uh, eternal destiny with God in heaven on offer, and they just reject it because they don't like the idea and they prefer Netflix? Or actually, is it because that news hasn't really reached them yet? And where they get their perceptions of what Christian faith is all about is Netflix and social media and TikTok and the rest of it. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. Being and bringing good news in a bad news world. What's at stake is enormous. I think the world out there doesn't know that. What is at stake? Life and death, friends. Life and death is at stake. It's as simple as that. The needs are enormous. The opportunities are endless. Heard another brilliant story, last story, uh, quite recently in a church where there was a woman who had had all kinds of struggles and and addictions, including uh, alcohol, and had been um, sober for, had come to faith in in the Lord, and had been sober for a year, and she was giving her testimony after a year of being dry, and the whole church, little small church, were just cheering her on, and it was like a really great moment. It was like, oh, you know, Sheila, whatever whatever her name was, you know, praise God, fantastic, great story, we just love it. In the congregation was another woman who'd just come for the first time that day, didn't know anybody in the church, and was sat next to somebody, was listening to this talk, and she herself could really identify with the testimony that she was hearing. Or didn't know anything about Jesus, didn't, just didn't really know why she's in the building at all, but she heard this. She turned to the neighbor, the story comes out this way, she turned to her neighbor and says, I know exactly what that woman's going through. And if that's what Jesus can do for her, and that's what this church is all about, I'm all in. Good news. Just being good news in a a bad news world. People need to know. They need to know. If I had the cure for cancer, and I kept it to myself, I should go to prison. Don't we hold something even more explosively powerful and hope-bringing and life-changing even than that. Call the good news of, of Jesus. That's the manifesto. It's embodied by Jesus himself, now given to us, his church. In brackets, I want to draw your attention to verse 42. There's a how involved here. I haven't got time to dwell on this at all. If Andrew were here, he'd talk about the rule of life, and I'm here, and I'm going to talk about the rule of life. Here was Jesus' rule of life, verse 42. It underpinned a lot of how he was able to live the manifesto. Do you get it? Very early in the morning at daybreak, he went out on the hillside by himself to pray, to get himself full of the Holy Spirit, to hang out with his Father, to get his marching orders, to commune with God, to be at one with the Lord whose love he knew and whom he loved. And then to go about his business, being and bringing good news in a bad news world. To love people powerfully. To live out this kingdom manifesto that is now ours to stand on. Being good news in every place, at every time. And for the sake of the world that needs Jesus. 
Um, 